Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks, and welcome today to our Sunday morning internet church service. Praise God, where we can gather together over the internet, where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus. He said, He's there in our midst. So, I welcome you today to our online church service, and I would like for you to see something of great power in the Bible, verse uh, uh, verse 10, from Exodus chapter 34, I want us to receive the tithes and offerings first today before we jump into the message. And as we do this, I want you to know what God wants to do for you this year. This year I've been proclaiming that this is the year of the harvest, and I want to give you a little more meat on the bones concerning that. Now, Exodus chapter 34, verse 10, it says, And he, God said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people, I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do. So this year, the Lord wants to do marvels, wonders, and extraordinary manifestations of His power in your life. And I believe that He's going to do it in your finances. I believe that God just wants to unload heaven on your life. Praise God. I want you to um, listen to this verse Exodus 34, verse 10, uh, because there's different ways to translate it. Uh, Christian Standard Bible, and the Lord responded, Look, I am making a covenant. I will perform wonders in the presence of all your people that have never been done in the whole earth or in any nation. All the people you live among will see the Lord's work, for what I am doing with you is awe-inspiring. Another translation says, A marvelous thing. Another translation says an awesome thing. And uh, it's just uh, what the Lord wants to do for you this year with the harvest, I believe, is of really mammoth proportions. And so I want you to be thinking about this. Because when you think on certain thoughts, if you wake up thinking about it and you set your mind on it, go to sleep thinking about it, you actually establish in your brain, even in, I'm talking about your physical brain, what's called neurological pathways, where it's like a railroad where you lay down the tracks and the cross ties, and then the train can travel on that. When you begin to think these heavenly biblical thoughts, they become established in your life because your life does go in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. That is proven even in uh, natural psychology and uh, physiology and things that along that line. Praise God. Your life is shaped by the way you think. So I want you to be thinking every day about God's marvels, wonders, and extraordinary manifestations of His power in your life. As you honor Him with the tithe and with offerings, I want you to be believing that God's going to come in and show up for you in ways that are, that are so amazing, it's going to make people marvel. They're going to actually wonder, wow, that's amazing what God did for you. 
Hallelujah. Because of the extraordinary manifestations that are going to take place in your life, in your finances. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. Let me turn over there just for a moment. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Your heart and what you allow yourself to meditate on, what's in there is going to be what comes out. So you need to be thinking about God's Word and the promises of God's Word on a regular basis. So when you wake up, think about this. When you go throughout the day, think about this, that God is going to be doing marvels, wonders, and extraordinary manifestations in your life, and that you're going to see this in the area of mind-boggling harvest. Glory to God, where your tithes are going to be so hefty and so powerful that your tithes will have nation-impacting effect. And you know what? We're, we're reaching the nations through, through media and through the printed page, but as God begins to bless you, you're just going to keep adding more zeros onto your tithe. I'm talking about on the right-hand side. Glory to God. I tell you what, it's going to be literally the miracle working power of God showing up in your harvest. I, I believe that you need to be thinking about it all the time. Because what you think about is the direction that your life goes. And your life is shaped by the way that you think. Secondly, concerning these amazing harvest that God wants to do in your life this year, I believe that you need to be decreeing it out of your mouth. And we see that established in Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, and since we, that's, that's believers, since we having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, okay, so if you really believe, what do you do? I believed, and therefore I spoke. And the Apostle Paul said, we also believe and therefore speak. So you need to be proclaiming, decreeing, and confessing that this is a year of marvels, wonders, and extraordinary manifestations of God's power in your life. This is your harvest time. Hallelujah. You need to be speaking that. You need to be thinking that. And since you really believe it, you need to be also decreeing it and speaking it. And thirdly, what I would like for you to do, as God said, he's, He told the children of Israel, I'm going to do things for you that the world has never even seen before. Okay? And these are awesome things, awe-inspiring things, wonder-working things, miraculous things, along with thinking about it, and along with the believing it and decreeing it out of your mouth. I also want you to be expecting it. Watch this. I want you to be expecting it every day. Praise the Lord. Now, Psalm 62, it says in Psalm 62, let me jump over there very quickly. Oh, I'm excited about what God is doing in your life. Psalm 62, verse 5, My soul wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. God's able to get it to you. God knows your location. He knows exactly where you're at. And as you continue to hold to His Word and believe this, as you're, as you're honoring Him with the tithe, with the sowing of financial seed, I'm telling you there is a magnanimous harvest, a mammoth harvest coming into your life this year that is going to, that is going to alter your life. 
Praise the Lord. And you need to be expecting it and believing for it every single day. My expectation is, <clears throat> is from Him. Verse 6, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. And see, I'm not moved by the, uh, how can I say, the dreary reports of some Christians who say, well, you know, you just, you just never know what God's going to do. I, I don't want to get my hopes up. I'm not moved by their unbelief. I'm not moved by their, how can I say, um, negative experience, which was really based on a lot of doubt and unbelief in the first place. I, I'll never forget being in a service when a, uh, a world-famous evangelist, she said, now if you do this, you'll get results. And then, um, then later in another meeting, uh, while talking to a smaller group, somebody on the front row uh, uh, asked the evangelist a question uh, and said, um, "said I, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I tried it. I tried doing what you said to do, and it, and it didn't work." She said, "Well, of course it didn't work for you. You didn't do it with faith." <laughs> and you could, you could see when the person was asking the question, they were asking, even asking, just like, uh, you know, no, no, no. Um, no assurance in, in any, in any um, of God's promises, no taking hold of what a man or woman of God would say, just kind of like doubt and all kinds of, just doubt everything. And then getting exactly what they actually believed. What do they actually believe? That it's not really going to work. Well, they got exactly what they believed for, and it didn't work for them. Praise God. But my friends, when you take hold of the Word and you expect it on a daily basis, you're not moved by the experience of others who, are, uh, who don't even really are, are going after the Lord. Uh, because David said, I shall not be moved. But you're moved by the Word of God. Hallelujah. You're, you're anchored to that. And he said, my expectation is from Him. I want you to expect every day that God is going to do marvels, wonders, and extraordinary, awe-inspiring manifestations in your life, and your finances are altered. And I believe that God can so alter your finances in a positive way that it doesn't just alter your life and shape your world, but Lord willing, if there's time, and we can't get into that because of the unfolding of the end time events. But if there is time, this will affect your lineage. This will affect your children. This will affect your grandchildren. This will affect grandchildren because God's going to do so, something so amazing in your, in your life. They'll, they'll know who you are. It's just like the Biltmore uh, estate here in North Carolina. If you live in North Carolina, everybody knows about the Biltmore estate. And Mr. Biltmore had so much wealth that uh, yeah, I believe he was a railroad tycoon. He had so much wealth that even though he's been gone since the 1800s, today the legacy that he left still inspires uh, a, a state, and it still it still blesses family members that have descended down from him today. They're still being blessed by what he did over a hundred years ago. And I believe that God is going to pour in such awe-inspiring miracles of glory, invasion into your life, that your finances will be forever altered, and you will, you will establish a kingdom legacy. You will be a mover and a shaker in the kingdom. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So I want you to think about this. I want you to believe and decree this. 
in your life every day, and I want you to expect it every single day that God is working marvels, wonders, and extraordinary manifestations that have never been seen before in your finances. Heavenly Father, as your people now honor you with tithes and offerings. Hallelujah. Father God, open the windows of heaven over their lives and pour out ideas, blessings, increase, provision in a, in, a, in a way they've never seen before. Burst their barns, O God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Overflow their accounts. Thank you, Father God. Father, we thank you that we as a people, we are, are as your people, we are tithers. Please confess that. Just say this after me. Say, I am a tither. I am a liberal giver, and God is blessing me. God is doing marvels, wonders, and extraordinary manifestations of His power in my life. Glory to God. Get ready for it. It's coming into your life. I tell you what God is releasing in these last days will outdo the Red Sea crossing. Pastor Stephen, that was pretty epic. Yes, it was. But what God's going to do for the end time church is going to boggle the minds of the world. Hallelujah. And the church will be the light on the hill. Praise God. The glory will be seen upon the church. The glory will be seen upon you because you comprise the church. Hallelujah. Father, bless your people now as they are honoring you with their tithes and their offerings. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Now, those of you that like to mail in your holy tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. Our zip code here is 28654. Again, the, the address, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, 28654. If you want to bring the tithes and offerings in online, you can do so. Please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There is a link on the homepage called Tithes and Offerings, Sow and Reap. And you can go there right now and bring them in regardless of what nation you are in. You can bring them in through that online safe, secure portal, and they come right in to the ministry account praise God, where they are used to continue to help us to preach the gospel around the world. Thank you for your faithful, sacrificial, generous giving. God's best is coming to you. Hallelujah. Marvels, wonders, and extraordinary manifestations being poured upon your life. Oh, I'm excited for you. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Let's talk today, today about an amazing discovery of something that was lost and was found. And as we talk about this today, please allow this to lock into your thinking. It's not accidental how these things happen. The reason that something tremendous takes place in the life of a king or a nation or people is not because, oh, that was just an accident. What a, what a lucky break. No, luck didn't have anything to do with it. I want you to see that if you do certain things, it creates a certain response from the heart of God. Okay, let's talk about it today. As we're going to go to the book of Second, Second Chronicles, we're going to go to, uh, go to uh, chapter 34. Second Chronicles, 
chapter 34. Uh, what we're going to talk about today was, uh, was and has been discussed a lot in archaeology. Uh, there's a lot there's a lot of good, good reports on this because even as as the lost book of the law was found and recovered by the priest Hilkiah, there are eight people with the names Hilkiah mentioned in the Bible. But as we're talking about this particular Hilkiah today, it's very important to find out. And to realize that he's recorded in Scripture, but they've also have found evidence upon clay seals dated to the exact time period of when this was written with his name on it. And so we we know from the Word of God that this guy is real, and we also have archaeological proof, 100% proof dated to this time period that this guy was active and alive and going about doing what he was doing then as the as the priest. So let's talk today about the amazing discovery of of the lost book of the law. We are in 2nd Chronicles chapter 34. Let's pray heavenly Father as we go into your word. Let your Holy Spirit come and illuminate it to the eyes of our understanding. We ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation the flow flow flow. Hallelujah. So, Father God, that we can take your word and, and consume it like food and eat it and assimilate that strength and walk in victory and walk close to you. Father, we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Around the world today we say, Amen. Second Chronicles, of course, Chronicles is a chronicling or a recording of the history of Judah and the history of Israel and their respected kings. Verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. Now, he is 16 years old. All of you teenagers, just take a little break just for a moment and listen to Pastor Stephen. King Josiah really began to enter into what we would call revival, seeking after God with all of his heart at the age of 16. Don't think that you can just live your life for yourself just because you're young and just think, well, one day when I get old, then I'll really seek the Lord. No, because you may never have that want to. You're, you're not guaranteed some kind of want to is going to come on you. But you do have today. And today, right where you're at, as a teenager even, you can begin to seek the Lord, seek the Lord, serve the Lord, and watch as you do that, God will let a kingly anointing come on you. Now, as believers, we're all kings and priests in Christ. But there's a lot of believers, they have no kingly identity. But when you, especially when you serve the Lord, even from youth, you really begin to tie into that kingly anointing. Hallelujah. So I want to encourage you, even as a young person, really begin to go after the Lord with all of your heart, even if you're a teenager or even younger. Praise God. That's not abnormal. That's actually normal. Now, we see here that in that eighth year of his reign, 
while he's still young, he, be he began to seek God of his, the, the God of his father, David. Well, technically, we, we know that David is not his father. That's, that's um, poetic language basically saying that, yes, he, he does descend down from the Davidic line. He is a king of Judah, and he wants to get back to the relationship that David had with God. So he's really going after God because David set the bar high. And so he's going after the Lord. And so here we have, we have the coming forth of revival. And it's not only touching him, it begins to touch those around him. It begins to touch the nation and things begin to happen. Understand that there has been up to this point, national apostasy national turning away from God, the people of God, the tribe of Judah, the standard bearer of the truth has fallen into pits of depravity that stunned even the heathen nations, even the, even the wicked nations around them that previously God had told Joshua, when you go into this land, the people are so filthy, they have defiled the land, and the land itself is ready to vomit these people out. So go in and take the land. Well, they went and took the land, and then over a period of time, there came some kings that were so evil, they even outdid the bad and the evil that the evil kings had done, who were so bad that, you know, the land was ready to throw them out. Well, these kings had even outdone them. And so you see that with the father of Josiah. His name was King Ammon, and he only reigned for two years before he was assassinated. Before him, he had a very, very wicked daddy, Manasseh. So the grandfather of Josiah was maybe the worst king that Israel ever had. This was the king of Judah that actually took his own children, his own sons, and offered them as young boys, as living sacrifices to the demon god Moloch, where the children were burned alive. They were burned alive as sacrificial offerings to this demon God. And Manasseh stood there and heard their screams and saw their terror and watched while these demonic priests killed his own sons. And he, he willingly uh, gave them his sacrifices for that purpose. Pastor Stephen, I'm so fed up with the sin of New York City that I believe God's going to send a, he's going to send a nuclear bomb to fall on New York. Well, I would say this, that what has taken place in New York as being a leader of some of the most atrocious abortion laws that we have yet seen introduced into the nation, which unfortunately is opening the gateways of hell for other nations that are also uh, led by, how can we say, unethical leaders that have no moral guidepost, okay? They're also trying to follow suit with even already laws that even outdo what New York has. But I would say this, 
that although there will be judgments taking place, there's still hope. Because don't forget, Manasseh came back to the Lord. Oh yes, he went in the captivity. Here, here's the thing. God doesn't, in, in a sense, humble His people. In Scripture it always says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. So, for a believer, or for a king of Judah, for example, God doesn't really humble you. But oh, God can bring situations into your life where you are absolutely, totally humiliated. Yes, yes He can. He'll even do that to a believer today. If a believer gets too arrogant and too hot, God can, God can allow you to walk into situations where, it, where you are so humiliated, you finally think, you finally get an idea, you know what, maybe I've been acting prideful, and you yourself humble yourself. You're the only one that can humble yourself. But God can put you in situations that are so deplorable, <laughs> so bad, where you're so embarrassed and you're so humiliated that you just think, you know what, I probably really should humble myself and serve the Lord. Whoa, that was really bad what I just got, you know, just went through. So that's what happened to Manasseh. And he got put into a place where he was brought so low that the light finally came on. Hey, I've been a total idiot. I have been so sinful. And I have not only been uh, in a place of depravity, I have pulled the whole nation into it. But you know what? He so humbled himself that even though he deserved death, God set him free. And God not only delivered him out of captivity from a foreign nation, God even gave him the throne back. Now how wild is that? Not only to be forgiven, but to even be given your throne back. And he's even, he's even back in a place where he's ruling and reigning again. And he's just, just like, he's almost got to like pinch himself. Wow, God is this real? Are you really this good? I, I, I deserve to die. Look, 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 I, look at what I did. And the Jewish rabbis actually teach that it was Manasseh who gave the commandment, burn every scroll of the law, burn every Torah, burn anything having to do with Jehovah God, burn it and get com just, just get rid of it completely. And he, he, he desecrated the temple. He defiled the temple. He took out all of the sacred uh, uh, pieces of furnishing and all the sacred utensils, and he took them all out and put demon god idols in the very temple of the Lord. Wow. Oh, but he repented. He repented. But he ruled for 55 years. He ruled for 55 years. His son, king, uh, his son Ammon became king, ruled for two years. And so you had 57 years at least. It's probably longer because things weren't going too good before even Manasseh showed up. But you had at least 57 years where there was what we would call an absolute ban on the Bible. Now, they didn't have the complete Bible like we have today. I'm just using that as a word phrase that you could understand. And that, that's something you, if you were caught with under his leadership, um, it, it, you're probably going to get killed for having, having the, the Scriptures. But it, it had just, it's been lost. 
and it's like having a road map, uh, you know, without GPS. If you don't know how to get somewhere, you, th this is very, very confusing. And when you don't have the Bible or the book of the law or the Torah to govern your life and tell you how to live, and it's been gone so long that you've forgotten what it said because your forefathers who knew it were there now dead, you have, don't have anybody to teach you. Well, we're just all trying to figure this out. We don't even know really how to get to our direction because we don't have the map. We don't have the instructions, the guidebook. It's been burned. It's been gone. And so we're living off of memory. We're living off of what so-and-so said, and we're just doing the best we can because, because all, of our, all of our scrolls have been burned or, you know, taken and hidden in places but you know it's just like a dog sometimes you can hide the bone you can't find it later but uh, they're in a they're in a tough spot but but it all starts it all starts with verse 3 in the eighth year of his reign while he was still young he began to seek the God of his father David it all begins with seeking the Lord and uh, th that's something that really I believe takes that touch of grace where Maybe you just kind of sit down one day with the Lord and you just say, you know what, Lord, I'm, I haven't been living the way I should, even as a Christian. I'm talking to Christians for a moment. And you just say, you know what, I've been living kind of wild. And uh, maybe you're not going out and just going hog wild, but you're just, you've really been living far below where God wants you to live. And you know it. And you just thank God, I really... I really want to start living for you, and I really want to serve you. That's a touch of grace, and you really need to respond to that, because if you don't respond to that, you, you, you're not guaranteed that that's going to like just stay on you all the time. And if you respond, you enter into it, the door opens, and you get momentum. But if you don't hold that momentum, uh, that, that can lift, and you might not have that grace again for quite some time quite some time. So when it's there, lean into the Lord and really go after the Lord and things will begin to open up. Praise God. Now, revival is taking place, verse 4, they broke down the altars of the Baals in His presence, that would be in the presence of Josiah, and the incense altars which were above them He cut down, and the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images He broke in pieces and made dust of them, and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. I like this. He also burned the bones of the priest on their altars, and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And he begins to do this all through the area. Verse 7, when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder, and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. In the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Well, things are about now to get really, really interesting. The revival has been going on for a few years. There has been a, a cleansing of the temple, throw out all the junk that's in there that Manasseh put in there. Let's get the temple back in order. Let's begin to also rebuild it. There had been a lot, a lot of uh, 
neglect because the focal point wasn't even really in Jerusalem up to that point. Uh, these demonic idols were everywhere on any high hill. Okay, so in many ways, not only was the temple in Jerusalem desecrated, but it also had just been not maintained properly. So a lot of work is going to need to be done on it. And any building, any house, any any physical structure, if you just let it sit for year after year, decade after decade, it doesn't matter how well it was built, it will eventually begin to fall apart, up, fall apart because of disuse. Okay, so there is going to be a cleansing of it, get all the heathen pagan junk out of it, and let's get the right stuff into it, let's begin to repair everything that's been neglected, and let's begin to get God's house in order. Verse 10, then they brought, excuse me, then they put it in the hand of the foreman who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and builders to buy hewn stone and timber for beams and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. Now, let's go down to verse 14. When they had brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, something amazing took place. Now, they would bring out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord. People are being touched by God. Josiah the king is seeking the Lord. See, when you've got good leadership, it flows down and affects people. When you've got rotten leadership with no ethics and no morals and no standard of ethics, and anything goes, that begins to flow down and begins to touch people and begins to corrupt society. That's, where it's, that's why it's very important that you want ethical leaders that are at the top, because then everything is better for everybody. Praise God. And so, people are being touched by the revival. They are giving money as the nation is beginning to recover, get stronger. They're, getting mo- they're giving money so that the temple can be rebuilt. The, the uh, people given the oversight of the workers, they are, they are taking money and they are paying the workers, and they're also making sure that proper money is also going back towards uh, the king so that things can be run smoothly. Glory to God. When they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Wow, things are very, very interesting now. The book of the law missing for at least 57 years. Gone. Gone. I believe that it was actually not misplaced, but it was, see, most of, most of the books of the law had been destroyed, burnt, and, uh, you know, cut up, or, you know, thrown away, or whatever the case may have been. But this one, I believe, was not misplaced. It was actually hidden, hidden from Manasseh, hidden from Amon. And the, the theologians, if you read commentaries, evangelical theologians will tell you that the book of the law that was found 
was basically just the book of Deuteronomy, which would be pretty amazing. That would be a pretty amazing find. But when you want to dig deeper, you really need to find out what the rabbis teach happened. And that's what I want to share with you, because the Jewish rabbis teach that, no, this was not just the book of Deuteronomy. This was actually the complete and original Torah, the complete first five books of the Bible as recorded by Moses himself, that complete scroll was actually found by the priest Hilkiah. Remember, these scrolls written on the skin of an animal, the skin usually of, what was it, the goat. They preferred the skin of the goat because there are certain things about it, you know, they got to get the goat hair off and all of that, and they have, to pre- they have to prep the leather, but that leather can last, when preserved properly, literally thousands of years. That's been proven by the discovery of Dead Sea Scrolls. But they find what the rabbis teach is actually the original Torah that Moses himself wrote with the complete first five books of the Bible. And Josephus, the Jewish historian who wrote in the first century and described much of the destruction of Herod's temple, the temple, the the same temple that Jesus prophesied would be destroyed, not one stone upon another. Well, Josephus witnessed that and he recorded that, but he was also very, very uh, good as a historian, helping us to connect with even more ancient history And Josephus said that Hilkiah found this complete book of the law, and the place was actually in the treasure chamber of the temple, and that Hilkiah was going into the treasure chamber of the temple to get gold that was going to be used to recreate some sacred vessels many of them which had been lost or, you know, damaged or, you know, stolen, uh, those were being uh, repaired and remade. Uh, And so he had this experience of finding this lost book of the law while he was in the treasure chamber of the temple. I believe this is very prophetic. And Josephus and the rabbis teach that while he was in that treasure chamber, he noticed something something stood out to him, and there was a pile of stones, and for whatever reason, he decides to have those stones moved. And I really believe that it had been hidden under a tile, because remember, they're, they're having brand new floor laid down. And I don't know what came upon Hilkiah that day. Maybe he just thought, you know what, we need to have this area refloored too, and let's get this stuff out of here, and let's, let's get these tiles up. But he, you know, as they're working, and they're, they're redoing things, they make that discovery a stunning discovery, a complete Torah scroll. Wow. Amazing. Now, now, now here's the thing. There is celebration, but also grieving at the same time of discovery, because as they start reading it, as they start reading it, which is like reading the roadmap, which is like reading the instruction manual, as they start reading it, they're just like, they're struck with grief, because like, they're like, no wonder we're in such a mess. No wonder things have been so difficult for us. No wonder things are not working out right, because 
we haven't had the instruction manual and we haven't known what to do. But upon the discovery of the book of the law, they're like, we're going to get it right. And they start obeying the scriptures and they had a Passover. Oh, did they ever have a Passover? They had a Passover unlike anybody had ever had before. You talking about a blowout Passover. They're like, we're not only going to have a Passover, we're going to make up for all the times that my father and my grandfather never did it for all of these years. They never did it. They neglected all the feasts. They neglected all the teachings. And we're going to get it right. And they begin to serve the Lord and prosperity just exploded into the land of Judah. Mm, glory to God. Hallelujah. So my friends, I want you to understand that this, this sacred Torah scroll was found there in the treasure chamber of the temple. And the people are just being touched by God. There's revival going on. Josiah is seeking the Lord. The servants are seeking the Lord. Everybody in that area is crying out to God, and God is moving, and people are giving. People are giving. The money is being put into the treasure chamber. And of all things, one day the high priest is in that room working and makes this amazing discovery. Well, Pastor Stephen, isn't that the most amazing accident? What a coincidence that he just happened to find it. No. No, it's not an accident. We, we in the church have got to stop uh, giving credit to great breakthroughs and great miracles to just somehow, oh, wasn't, wasn't that just a remarkable moment? That just, that just an accident. No, it's not. No, it's not. We have, to, we have to attribute it to working God's Word, following God's principles, working principles of seed time and harvest, following the teachings of Scripture. And when you do that, you get breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. And sometimes the breakthroughs are nothing short of miraculous, such as a, such as a find like this, that even today, archaeologists still marvel over it today. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I believe that when you do some of the same applications, when you work some of the same things they did, I believe you're going to also have some amazing results happen in your life, just like happened in their life. Number one, when you seek God, the most amazing things begin to happen. Now again, verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. When you begin to seek God, you begin to have your own revival. God begins to move in your life in a very, very fresh way. But you, you must guard the momentum that you create through early morning prayer. You have to really, really guard that. Whatever your key is for your secret sauce, whatever your recipe is for your secret formula of what's working with you and God, you really need to guard that momentum because it's the grace of God that gets you up and running. It's the grace of God that gives you that want to, to seek Him. And if you, if you toy with that and, and just take it lightly, you can lose that momentum. In other words, if, if, you're, 
if your secret recipe is getting up early, like Mark chapter 1 verse 35, you get up real early before the sun ever comes up to pray and to seek God. If that's really, really working for you, well then don't let somebody violate this great thing in your life by wanting to talk to you from 9 o'clock at night to 2 o'clock in the morning. Just say, look, I like talking, and I like talking with you, but it's 9 o'clock, I need to stop talking, I need to start getting ready to go to sleep, or else I'm not going to have enough energy to get up in the morning. I don't, I don't know if I should share this. I, I don't know if I should share this, something that's kind of going through my mind right now. But I think I'm going to anyhow. Did you know that the Dalai Lama gets up every morning at 3 o'clock and prays? Well, Pastor Stephen, uh, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I would say it like this. Although he teaches a false gospel, although he is lost and doesn't know Christ as his Savior, although he may teach some moral philosophies that are inter intertwined with a bunch of other stuff that totally does not agree with Scripture. He moves in power that would be occult power. And you, you don't get a free ride. You don't get a free ride no matter which direction you're going. If you want to serve the Lord, you serve the Lord out of love. And he pulls you in to a lifestyle of walking with him. But if you want to serve the dark side, then you're going to have to also really commit yourself to that if you want to have power in your life. I was talking with a well known prophet one time, and we were just sharing stories. And this prophet friend that I, that's a friend of mine that I was talking with, he knows another man of God. I don't know him, but I, I've heard about him. But this prophet friend of mine brought up a story about this other prophet because those two are really, really good friends. Actually, the man I'm talking to is actually the spiritual father of that, that other prophet. And he said, Stephen, he says, Brother so-and-so, who's a spiritual son to me, he said, he, uh, he was trying to pray one day, and he was having experiences where he has been He's been going up to heaven. He's been lifted up in heaven in visions where he's just like, he's going up. He's getting so far over in prayer, he's just getting caught up, and he's having regular supernatural encounters of being taken up to heaven and seeing heaven and talking to angels and all kinds of, you know, great things like that. But he told me that one day he was trying to pray, and he, could, he couldn't get that lift. He, he couldn't go up. And he said, he said, Holy Spirit, what, something's holding me down. Something's blocking me. I can't, I can't get this lift. What's going on? And the Holy Spirit showed him. And he saw in a, in a vision the Dalai Lama working against him with evil powers, sending out evil spirits to hold that prophet down so he could not get access into that heavenly realm. Well, Pastor Stephen, uh, uh, I'd like to be able to rise up. Well, there's others that don't want you to go up. And so I'm just saying that I know that those in the dark realm, I know what they do. I know what they do. I've, I've, I've read the testimonies of former witch doctors, and I, I've, I know people that have come out of a lot of darkness. They've told me, they told me the, the prayer life on the dark side. 
in order to walk in dark power. But I want you to know that when you walk with the Lord in the light, and you walk and you're walking in momentum, once you have that momentum, and once you have this thing going on between you and the Lord, you really have to guard it. Because if the enemy does something to kind of to like launch an attack against you, and you're not guarding that momentum, you're not guarding your secret recipe, what works for you and Jesus, where you have this daily thing going on, if you don't guard that, the enemy will try to launch an attack to block you and abort you and to mess that up. And he, all he has to do is mess it up for one day or, or maybe two days. And it's like you can't get back into it for four months. So you really have to be careful with this. And King Josiah is really guarding this. And, you know, this thing went on for decades. He should have lived longer. Um, Josiah should have lived longer. He got caught later in his life. He wasn't very old. He was only 39 years old. He got caught with something that's brought down a lot of other good people. And that was pride. And even the king of Egypt said, look, I know you want to come out against me with war. He said, but your God is telling me, don't you dare attack me because he's working through me. And if you attack me, you're going to get killed. And King Josiah, he, he didn't listen. He attacked the king of Egypt and uh, he, was, he was in his own chariot, and one of the Egyptian archers shot, and they, they boom, boom, just struck him with a couple of arrows, and Josiah's like, uh-oh, I've been hit, get me out of the chariot, get me into another one, they transported him back, by the time he gets back to Jerusalem, he's dead, he's dead, and uh, th that was just because of pride, he should have minded his own business, let the king of Egypt do whatever he's doing, he's not, he's not troubling him, but he, uh, he tried to get into something that God never told him to get into, and it bit him, sent him to an early grave. He was a good guy. God had a lot more for him. He had a lot of gas left in the tank that he never got to use. But the point was, nevertheless, he did have a very good kingly reign. Uh, was it cut short? Yes, but he, he did bring the nation into a place where they began to turn back to God and amazing things were transpiring. But my friends, you have to seek the Lord, and when it's going, when it's going, don't let anything disrupt that, that thing that you and God have, have going on. You've really got to give that first attention. You've really got to guard it, because the enemy will do, if he has to, he'll send some of his, some of his elite to get, try to get in there, to try to disrupt. And um, I can tell you a lot of stories uh, I, I was with uh, a world-renowned apostle, and he and I were ministering in, in a certain in a certain city. I won't tell you the city, but it's known for a lot of New Age, heavy, heavy New Age stuff. And um, uh, we went there to minister together. And so uh, it was a rough night for he and I. He's in the next room. I'm in the room with me and Kelly. And uh, we we had some very difficult attacks. He had people astral project into his room. Um, people in the occult that know how to do that, and I, I had a person come into my room, astral project into my room, and there's just trouble throughout the night, and we didn't really have the prayer covering that we needed. The, the host church, the, ho the, the people there were not really praying for us. They just didn't take that stuff seriously, and we had good meetings, but it could have gone a whole lot higher in the glory if we had had prayer support. 
but you but the thing is you guard your own walk you're going to be okay if you want corporate breakthrough other people are going to have that they're going to have to pray uh, as well with you to help lift that into the glory then you get those real strong breakthroughs hallelujah glory to God these are things that we're learning these are things that we're learning and the glory is going to get so strong that we're going to have such hedge of protection around us that you're, you're never going to have a bad dream again for the rest of your life you get in these glory realms uh, where the glory is real strong you'll never have a bad dream for the rest of your life it's just too much glory to too many angels too much of a force shield of protection all around all around all around day and night day and night uh, fire by night cloud by day just glory 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 all the time so I want to give you a few takeaways from this story with King Josiah and the finding of the lost scroll number one number one just seek God with all of your heart because God said if you seek me with all of your heart you will find me not not like I'll just hide and seek go on forever no God said you will find me God said I will reveal myself to you and one of the best indicators that this thing is going on between you and the Lord is when you start to hear his voice when you pray and he actually starts talking to you not so much from like what we would call a thunderous voice but you just get you get these prophetic words from the Lord the gifts of the Spirit start operating in your life and you start to really just get really tied into the Lord and when that's going on guard it protect it with everything you got and just push on it push that momentum and maintain it maintain it I, I'm going to have to be honest with you you're not allowed a spiritual vacation okay you're going to need a vacation from work you can take time off from work but the walk with God doesn't work like that it's not like you can just take this and put this away for a month it's not like you can say I, I, I'm not going to pray or I'm just going to go just kind of get in the flesh for a while you th that's very very dangerous you are not entitled to a spiritual uh, spiritual vacation you need to stay close to the Lord and here's the thing when you're staying close to the Lord you're constantly refreshed growing up in the church particularly in college days when I got around these these bless their hearts when I got around these flaky college ministers who had no prayer life who all they had was a degree in counseling and I'm not I don't want to be a little that a counseling degree is very precious and in many cases it's actually needed but these guys that's all they had that's all they had was a diploma on the wall they had no anointing they had no prayer life anything they taught was dead and dry it was just a theological you know re-rehearsal of what they learned in theology school and they were just there to get a paycheck and you know what um, those those guys they um, they would just put this stuff out it just really wouldn't help it just really wouldn't help it wouldn't help me it wouldn't help me but um, I don't even know where I'm going I'm just saying that I think I kind of forgot my point but all I'm saying is that oh I remember now they were the ones that would always make these statements oh I'm experiencing ministry burnout. I need a sabbatical, and they would they they would apply to the denominational headquarters. Uh, I need a three month sabbatical. I need I need to go on a three month leave, and you know, even as a college student, me and some of the other college students would just be like, "You're burned out." You, really what, what burns you out working 20 hours a week well, we don't get it what's what what's up with all this so-called pressure that you say you're under all you all you do is just show up and just throw out a couple of canned sermons you, you really need a vacation 
But they were the ones, if they're going to take a vacation, they're going to just totally walk away from the Word. Why? They're never walking close in the first place. Mm. Glory to God. You are not entitled to a spiritual retreat. You do not need a spiritual time off. You need, you need time with God. And then you will be refreshed. Because I've met a ton of people who've go, who go on vacation, and they come back from vacation, and they were so stressed out, and, and they're just, it's just like the, the so-called vacation just wore them out. Now they've got to go back to work. More spiritually depleted than what they were before they ever went on a natural vacation. Stay close to God. Be like King Josiah. Go after the Lord. Number, number two. Number two, when you give to the work of God, you can expect to recover lost treasure. That's where the whole thing went down at. It went down in the treasure chamber of the temple. And I believe he saw something out of place that God gave him an eye. Hmm, what are those stones doing there? Let's move those. Why is that one propped up just a little bit, not quite level? Let's pop that stone up. Let's redo the floor. <gasps> and look what they find. Well, he's in that room because of all the provision that's beginning to flow in, because God's touching the hearts of people because of revival. How can you really be in a revival spirit when the house of God is a neglect? Glory to God. Thank you, church family and ministry partners for making this house of God, this building, beautiful. Beautiful. It's 142 years old. How about that? Tomorrow, this church will be 142 years old, and it looks better today than it does on the day that it was built. It was actually established in 1830, when two congregations came together and, and called this church Beulah Church. Beulah is a Hebrew word that means married to the land. I've got a notebook this thick of every pastor who's, every pastor, who's ever pastored this church. And um, by God's grace, I'm in there. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm the last one. Maybe the last one before Jesus comes back. Glory to God. But I remember even, even St. Francis of Assisi, when Jesus spoke to him in the 12th century, and gave him his apostolic calling, and said, rebuild my church. Well, he actually received that call from the, um, the Lord in a dilapidated church that was in disrepair, where it looked like it was about to fall in any time. And he thought that when the Lord spoke that to him, that what Jesus meant was rebuild this church. You know, I, I don't know what it was, um, maybe 2,000 square feet or something like that. So he began physically to rebuild the church stone by stone. And he, he asked people to help him. And they took that broken down church that was almost in rubble and they began to rebuild it. And he rebuilt it. But as he kept preaching, more people kept showing up. And then the Holy Spirit revealed to him the call to reveal the church is not just for this one little physical building, but it's for the people of God who have gone into decadence, who've gone into apostasy, who've fallen away from the Lord, and they begin to call them back to the Lord, and they begin to come back to Christ. Praise the Lord. So it was actually called as a reformer to build back up the church that had gone into spiritual decay. 
Praise God. Hallelujah. So when you are concerned about the work of God, when you're concerned about the car that your pastor drives, well, that's not very spiritual. Oh, that's very spiritual. Uh, that, that's very spiritual. Because what your pastor drives speaks of how much you love your pastor. And I drive, I drive a nice vehicle. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you. I'm talking to my church family and my ministry partners. Thank you. Me and my wife were in good vehicles. Thank you for that. But if your pastor's driving around some kind of a broken down piece of junk, that, that, that is a neon sign held up over your church that says, you church members do not love your pastor. That's exactly what that means, and that's exactly what that says to the unbelievers, to the sinners, to the lost who look at you when you allow your pastor to live like that. They just obviously think, well, they certainly don't love their pastor. Hallelujah. And so because of King Josiah, he's like, we've got to rebuild the temple. Well, I, uh, Pastor Stephen, revival is of the heart. Revival is of the heart? But yet you don't give? Then you're not, you're not having real revival. How can you say God's touching your heart when you're a greedy old miser? No, you're deceived. If God doesn't have your wallet and your checkbook and your purse, He absolutely doesn't have your heart. Because if you want to see proof of revival, pull out your receipts and look to where the money's going. And if no money is going to the house of God, to the work of the Lord, then you're not having revival. You're having some kind of euphoria. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Glory to God. We're just talking about uh, takeaways. Takeaways from, from discovering lost amazing things. Number one, seek God. Number two, give to the work of God. Because it's not an accident. It's not an accident that he finds that lost book of the law right there in the treasure chamber where the wealth was kept at, where the provision, where the money, where Josephus even said the gold and the silver were kept there. It's not, a, it's not an accident. It is a prophetic sign. It's a prophetic sign that when you give, there is miracle release of lost things in your life. Children that are, that are spiritually lost. Maybe you raised them in church. They're not even serving God today. Just keep giving. Keep giving. Keep giving. Your lost treasure will come back to the house of the Lord. Your lost children will come back to serve God. Hallelujah. Pastor Stephen, I've lost my health. Keep giving. Keep giving. I know that your giving is secured in the covenant. And at the same time, give the enemy no access into your life. Keep tithing. Keep sowing. Keep giving. If you're not a consistent giver, you are not a giver. A giver implies someone who has moved into lifestyle giving. Lifestyle giving. Not just once and done. No. Lifestyle giving, that is a giver. Praise God. Number three. When you give to the Lord and you support His work, you can expect to encounter the spirit of revival resting on you, increasing on you.
glory to God, getting all over you, getting all over your ministry, getting all over your work, getting all over your family, getting all over your life. You're in revival. You're having dreams. You're having visions. You're having encounters. You're having ongoing assignments in the things of God. I walked outside of the ministry facility here just a few days ago. All I did was walk outside because there were a few sticks that had fallen from a tree, and I thought I would just pick the sticks up and uh, get them off the parking lot. I had time to do that. My, uh, my, my groundskeeper was not here yet, so I just thought, I'll go out there and do that, get a little fresh air. It's a beautiful day. I walked out there to pick up those couple of sticks, and over by the post office, somebody yells, Brother Stephen? Brother Stephen, is that you? And I, I, I saw a very tall man. I, I didn't have my glasses. I couldn't quite make out who it was. We start, I said, yes. He said, oh, he said, oh, I want to talk to you. And he comes closer. Then I realize who it is. And he says, Brother Stephen, it's so good to see you. He said, will you come and be on my television show? I said, well, brother, I'd, I'd love to be on your television show. He said, my show covers this entire nation. And if you come on with me, we'll do multiple programs, and we will blanket the entire nation of Iran. Woo! We will strengthen, and we will build up the underground church. We will preach the word to them. He said, come on my show. Let's talk about the supernatural. Brother Stephen, teach them about angels. Teach them about the miracle power of God. I said, brother, what, how soon can we record? Hallelujah. See, what's going on? I go out to pick up sticks, and the next thing I know, I'm speaking to a nation. What's going on? Spirit of revival. And, and this, this stuff's going on all the time. This stuff is going on all the time. I can't get to all of the invitations that are given to me. If, if I responded and went to every meeting, I would be gone th literally 365 days out of the year. I need an airplane. I really do. I need an airplane. Praise God. I'm not making an appeal for funds for an airplane. I'm just, I'm just believing for an airplane. I believe, I believe that God's going to do it the way for, He did it for a friend of mine. I, I ministered in a church one time, and the, the pastor said, um, he, said uh, he said, Brother Stephen, he said, um, I was believing God for a jet. And I, di I didn't even tell my, my church that I'm believing for a jet. And he said, one day, one of my church members came up to me, and he, this, this guy, uh, this guy that was a, uh, uh, one of the players on a major league baseball team, he came up to, and said, he, he said, he came up to me, and he said, Pastor, he said, do you need a jet? And the pastor said, yes. He said, I'm believing God for a jet. We said, how much, how much does it cost? He said, $3 million. He said, okay. And he pulled out his checkbook right there, and wrote out a check for $3 million. And the guy said, go get your jet. And the pastor said, he said, Brother Stephen, I went and got my jet. I said, praise the Lord. And I believe, I believe God's going to give me a jet. We've got an airport, literally 12 minutes from the church. I can drive from the church to the airport in 12 minutes and fly from there anywhere to the world. And um, would have a nice neighbor at the airport, Billy Graham's son. He has, uh, he has, there, he has the, the ministry jet there, Samaritan's Purse. Uh, uh, the great man of God, Franklin Graham, has his jet there. So we, we would have a really nice neighbor.
But my friends, I believe, I believe God is doing the extraordinary. I believe God is doing the extraordinary. I believe we need to be able to run to the nations. Run to the nations. Because I get, I get invitations all the time. Major crusades. I'm talking major crusades. But that's the only way I could do it. Would be to have a ministry jet. Where I could just hit it and go. Well Pastor Stephen, why don't you just fly commercial? Well, because first of all, I'm two hours from Charlotte. Two hours from the Charlotte airport. If you want to fly a commercial flight, you've got to be there two hours early. Okay, so now there's four hours right there. I could have already driven to the airport, uh, my local airport, be on the plane, and already be off the Atlantic and, and moving towards Europe with, by, by, by this time. By the time you even get on the plane in Charlotte, I could already be halfway across the Atlantic. But it's just, it's just so slow. Commercial is so slow, and you can't go directly there. You've got to go this place to get a connection, and then go that place, and it just on and on and on it goes. That's why I have to really limit my, my travel right now internationally, because it just takes so long to do the trips. But I believe God is going to release jets in these last days, not as some kind of a glamour tool, but really as a workhorse, so that we can go, and that we can run to nations. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm re- see, I, I, I'm not concerned about persecution. All I'm focused on is the 100-fold return and believing God for what we need to do, what He's called us to do. Thank you, Lord Jesus. A lot of the persecution that comes against ministers who have corporate aircraft is nothing more than jealousy. That's all it is. And you, let me say this also. There are, there are critics out there in the church who speak against ministers who have aircraft. But anything that you criticize, any anointing that you insult is something that you cannot touch. I'm concerned, I'm actually concerned for many in the prophetic circles that they will never move into corporate aircraft because they are criticizing a lot of good, maybe what we would call word of faith preachers. They are criticizing them. And when they criticize them, they disqualified themselves spiritually from having access into that anointing. You can only receive from that which you respect. And also, very importantly, that which you love. And if you love somebody, you will not rip them and you will not verbally tear them apart. Not only that, they're right. I agree with their doctrine. I agree with their theology. You could even put me in that group if you want to. But my friends, we must rise higher. I believe also that the work of God is the most preeminent work in the earth. I'm not saying that any other type of work is lesser from the perspective that it's not important, but I'm saying this, what does it matter if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul and you go to hell? What does it matter if you have all this success, but nobody ever preached the gospel to you, you never heard the gospel, and, you, and you're lost? Or you just didn't hear it enough to persuade you. That's why I believe the most critical assignment in the world is the preaching of the gospel. And because it's the most important, it deserves, it deserves the, the best tools to support it so that we can take it all over the world. 
I believe it's more important than what the assignment that IBM has. I believe the gospel assignment is of more importance and more value than what Microsoft is or what Google is or any other thing is on the face of the earth. And because of that, it deserves the very best to send it around the world. Praise God. And if that, if that involves corporate aircraft, I, I believe it does. Absolutely 100%. Can it be abused? Anything can be abused, even cheesecake. Hallelujah. But my friends, let's do what we're supposed to do with what we're supposed to do, and let's rise higher. Let's rise higher. After all, God may want you to have one as well. What's that, Pastor Stephen? A slice of cheesecake? No, an aircraft. Hallelujah. Some of you that are businessmen and businesswomen, you will eventually bump up to that point where if you want to go higher in your business, you'll find out. That's why they created corporate aircraft, because you need them. You'll find that out when you've got to be in four cities in one day. You'll find out that's why they created corporate jets. You need them. Yep. Praise the Lord. There is a vital use and need for them. Praise God. Number four, number four, takeaway from the story of Hilkiah finding the lost book of the law. Number four is that when you go after the Lord with all of your heart, you're giving, you're into the scriptures, you're into the word, and you're, you're going after the Lord, you'll find out that God surrounds you by his very best 18. That's what happened to Josiah. He's seeking the Lord, and it just happens that God nets him with the team of the most dynamic people and the most creative and godly supporters. And he's got Hilkiah the priest. He's got Shaphan the scribe. He has a God team. I would call it a dream team assigned to him so that he can carry out his purpose and his assignment in life for himself for the nation of Israel. Oh, glory to God. That's why, that's why you want to work these principles. You want to work these principles because the right people start coming into your life. The right people start coming into your life. That's what happened to Josiah. Number five, as you work these principles of Josiah, as you work these principles of Hilkiah, finding these treasured lost things, you'll find that they, they happen in your life as you cleanse the temple. As you cleanse the temple. The temple, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, as referenced by the Apostle Paul, the temple, from the New Testament perspective, from the New Covenant perspective, the temple of the Holy Spirit is no longer the temple of Solomon, which they were cleansing there. It's no longer the temple that Herod built, which has now been destroyed. But it's actually the temple of your body. And you cleanse your body. And you say, Lord, I want my life to be pleasing to you. And if drinking whiskey is a bad example, I don't want to do that. Lord, if there's something that I'm doing that causes young believers to stop and take a double look? Is, is he really doing that? Then Lord, if that's hurting young believers, not to mention something that's not good that I'm doing to my body, 
that, Lord, I really want to cleanse the temple. I really want to cleanse the temple. Because if you're doing things that defile the temple, God on purpose will allow you to have those moments where you notice, oh, they're watching me. Oh, I have freedom in Christ. I'm under grace. Well, then why is that? Why is the Holy Spirit working with you to lay that down? Okay. Hallelujah. It's just all about going higher. It's all about going higher with the Lord. And so there, there could be those things where you have to cleanse the temple. You have to cleanse the temple, and the Holy Spirit just works with you on that. And you just think, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the, uh, the false altars of incense out. I'm going to take the temple of Baal out. I'm going to take this out. I'm going to take that out. The way I talk to that person, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let my tongue get consecrated. You know, um, the, something I did with my hands. I'm going to allow the Lord to work with the cleansing of my hands. Uh, you know, there's the circumcision of the of the ears, of the eyes, of the tongue. I remember one a local lady, a prophetess, but oh, oh, she she could really gossip, and she could give some really good prophecies. But man, she could really just spread gossip like wildfire. Even, even, even a leading prophet said, said, hey, look, you're getting some really good words, but you know what? The stuff that you just put out, this gossip is like, it hurts. It really hurts people. And uh, so this prophetess actually told me that one night she had a vision. And in the vision, she saw herself uh, getting over into gossip and she saw her tongue come out. It looked like a snake tongue. And it came out so long. And it was so repulsive looking. And she, it embarrassed her. She was embarrassed in the dream that she's got this really long gossip snake tongue. And she said in the dream, the Lord Jesus Christ came up to her with a pair of scissors and went whoosh, and cut her tongue off. And there that thing lay like a snake flopping all over the floor. And the Lord said, I've circumcised your tongue. Don't do any more gossip. And she said, Brother Stephen, I believe I've been healed. And I've never heard one word of gossip ever come out. I've never heard these winds of gossip just circulate like they used to. It just, it just died overnight when she had that one encounter through the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the circumciser of her tongue. Praise God. So look, let the Lord cleanse your temple. Let the Lord cleanse your temple. Praise God. Hallelujah. I believe I believe we're coming into the greater manifestations, the greater glory in God's house, in God's house. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we do these things, some things that have been lost in the church, they're going to come back, and they're going to come back greater than what they, they were before, even before they were lost. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, I wasn't around the 1950s when they had the 50s healing revival, that pretty much ran for a decade from about 1957. You had all these great men of God begin to just come forth. You had William Branham. You had Orr Roberts. You had Jack Coe. Then you had A.A. A. Allen. And then you had, it just began to roll. And, and you know what? That was something that happened before my lifetime. That was a move of healing that happened before my lifetime. It went from about, about 1957 to uh, 1967, maybe up to 1969. But by that time, it was pretty much done. But you know what? I never saw it. I never experienced it. But you know what? Jerry Savelle said that Orr Roberts was at his house one day, and this was when Orr Roberts was very old, and he, uh, Brother Savelle said, Dr. Roberts, he said, what was the last thing Jesus has ever told you? 
in the last visitation, the last vision that you had from Jesus. And he said, Jerry, he said, the Lord told me, he said, Oral, if you think you saw healing back in your day, he said, you haven't seen anything. Healing is coming back big time. And so, of course, Oral Roberts has gone on to be with the Lord in heaven. But this next great move of healing, of the glory being released, of the lost treasures being found, gifts, anointings, oh, uh, it's, it's going to come back unlike anything we've ever seen. And for many of us, we actually haven't seen in the States those great moves. I've been privileged to be a part in other countries where just miracles have been on, on the level of it. I've seen God do miracles through my ministry overseas on the same level of anything mentioned in the book of Acts. I don't say that uh, in, in any means of boasting. I've, I've just seen it happen. I've seen the lame walk. I've seen the cripples healed. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen, I've seen all kinds of crazy miracles happen overseas. I've seen a lot of miracles happen here in the States, but I'm not satisfied with what I've seen here in the States. I am believing for the greater glory. But at the same time, I just want it to be off the charts. I'm ready for not just strong miracles and strong healings. I'm ready for stuff that's just, I, I'm talking about the gusher being poured out. And that used to be a phrase that was said back in England when the revival, the charismatic revival began to hit back in the 1960s. And they had this statement, you need to get under the spout where the glory is coming out. And there's going to be areas where the spout, the glory is going to be poured out with such magnitude that we're going to see things like we've never, ever seen before. Hallelujah. You must get ready for this. Praise God. Hallelujah. And these lost treasures are going to be rediscovered. These mantles, these anointings, they're going to come with power. We're going to see power like we've never seen. We're going to see things lost that have been lost in the church be found again that are going to, that are going to be the talk of the world. Hallelujah. Because it's the glory of God being released. Concerning healing, here is a prophecy that Prophet Kenneth Hagin gave back in 1983. Let me see if I can find that. Praise God. Okay, that's a good one there, but that, I don't think that's the one I'm looking for. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'll just pull it up. Let me pull it up on a PDF file. I believe it's down at the bottom. Lord Jesus, we give you praise today. I'm very excited. I'm very excited about what God is doing. Lord, we give you praise today. I'm going to take just a moment to find this. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we give you praise and glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Great encounters in the Spirit. This is what's nice about the Internet. We can just talk and we can take our time. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise today. I really want to find that. I think, I think this is it right here. Praise the Lord. Ooh, hallelujah. Lord, we give you praise today. I know that it took place in 1983. It was a prophecy. It was actually a very long prophecy that Kenneth Hagin gave. Of course, Brother Hagin is now in heaven. He went to be with Jesus in 2003. 
But oh, what a prophet that he was. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Did you know that when, that when Oral Roberts taught during those great tent crusades that his preaching, just his message alone usually lasted for about two hours? If you go to YouTube and you watch clips of his messages, of his sermons, they have it like scaled down, maybe like 20 minute clips, but those are just little segments. When he would preach, he would literally preach for two hours before he ever prayed for the sick. Hallelujah. So I'm excited. I'm excited about the, the word being lifted up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, so let me see if I can find this prophecy that prophet Kenneth Hagin gave. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. While I'm doing this, let's get ready to take communion. If you have some unleavened bread and some grape juice, let's get that ready. We're going to take communion together. Lord Jesus, we bless you today. Mm-mm. Yes, Lord, I see, I see businessmen, businesswomen moving into multi-million dollar streams. Then you're going to hit the $10 million stream. You're going to hit the seven-digit stream. Then you're going to hit the eight-digit stream. Lord, we thank you for that and give you praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus, today. Miracles and signs and wonders. Hallelujah. Well, I apologize for taking so long to find this. I have, I actually had it found uh, before I was going to preach and share this message with you. and kind of thought it, that I had it bookmarked, but it seems to, um, it seems to have slipped somewhere where I can't find it. And I have 13 pages of notes, so it's making it a little bit, a little bit tricky to find. So let's do this. Who? I just found it. I was just about to postpone this, and I'd share it on my next message, but I just found it. So we we uh, we possess our promises <laughs> through faith and patience. Thank you for being patient and letting me ramble for about a minute while I uh, while I found this. Now this was in 1983, and Prophet Kenneth Hagin prophesied this. You have not seen the revival of divine healing that you're about to see. Oh yes, you saw those that I raised up. That would refer to those used in the great healing revival of the 1950s. He said, you saw those that I raised up. You have seen men and women mightily used of my spirit. That would go on to refer to uh, people like even um, uh, Catherine Kuhlman and so forth, a great anointing. You have seen men and women mightily used of my spirit. I sent them forth as a pilot program to try to train you. In this move that is about to come, there will be a revival of divine healing, such as you have not seen in your lifetime, or read about, or heard about. Glory to God. Glory to God. And Prophet Kenneth Hagin saw a lot of great miracles, even saw a lot of creative miracles. But there is coming something 
of a magnitude we as a generation have never been a part of before. We've never seen it. Uh, we, we've never had it just like start unfold, unfolding and unveiling, but it is, it is coming. We are on the edge of it now, moving into it. We must very much guard this momentum that we have. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. I feel like I've, I've given a lot today for you to assimilate. And if you need to go back over and watch this message again today, I want to encourage you to do that because you're going to begin to recover lost things. The church is going to begin to recover lost things. Wonderful, glorious, beautiful things. Amazing anointings. I know that uh, I know of two anointings that are coming back into the church that are going to be so wild and crazy. It's going to so it's going to be so miraculous. I can't even talk about it yet. I'm going to wait for it to start to happen. If I actually even say it, it's just people are just like, I, I can't grab that Pastor Stephen. And so I'm not even going to say it. It'd be like whoosh, over some people's heads. But I already know of two that are coming back. They're going to, they're coming back. They're going to be seen, evidenced, filmed, witnessed. And, and they haven't been seen. They haven't probably been seen at least for about, at least 300 years. But they're coming back. And they're very sacred. They're very beautiful. These are parts of the Torah, parts of the Scripture being recovered in the temple of the Lord and being revealed to the others to know about. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We consecrate it. This is now the flesh and the blood of Jesus, our Savior. Father, prepare us for revival. Father, let us be in revival. Take us deeper. Let the glory begin to open up. Let the treasures be rediscovered and found. Pour out your word, pour out your spirit in our lives. Thank you, Father God. Some of you are going to receive a fresh word, just like Francis of Assisi got that word. Jesus said, rebuild my church. Okay, you're going to get a word from the Lord, a specific assignment, and stay on that assignment. That's why King Josiah died early. He got off his assignment and tried to enter into an anointing that was not his, and he had no business touching. And he tried to do it, and he got shot and killed. Praise God. Got shot by arrows. Stay in your anointing. Stay on your assignment. If people make fun of you, don't, don't worry about it. Just stay on your assignment. Just go, go, go. Run, run, run with the Lord. Run with the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Father, we receive the body of Jesus and all of the great and precious promises that He's made available to us. We receive by faith. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just all kinds of, all kinds of creative, uh, creative things are swirling in the Spirit, because we're over in the glory right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father God. Some of you, this, this may not fit, but for some of you, this, this is going to light you up. 
you're going to get your own aircraft. You're going to have some of you. You may, you may not want a jet. Maybe you want a single propeller or the twin turboprop, or you may connect with a different thing. But there's some of you. God's put it in your spirit to acquire a jet, and God's going to give you that jet. Praise the Lord. God's going to give you that jet. And there'll be even times that we we bump into each other at the airport. Praise God. Glory to the Lord. Glory to the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, we receive in the name of Jesus. Amen. We receive the body of Jesus. There are some believers that think Jesus is so uninformed that he doesn't know what a Learjet is. Who do you think gave Beer Lear the idea to build a private jet? Who do you think gave Marcel Dassault the idea to develop a corporate jet? which became known as the Falcon Jet, which a lot of people don't know that Mr. Marcel Dassault is actually a Jewish man, but he changed his name during the war. Brilliant man, a genius, a genius of a man. As if Jesus doesn't know about this, Jesus is the one that gave them the ideas, the inspiration. Like Jesus has never heard of Gulfstream? Yes, He has. Of course He has. I had Jesus one day, through the Holy Spirit, whisper to me and say, while I stood before my mirror in the bathroom shaving, say to me, take that Timex off your hand, I'm going to give you a Rolex. And He did. He did two weeks later. There's some people that think, Jesus, He doesn't know anything about Rolex. Let me, let me say this, He knows everything about everything, everything, and He's in circles that you may not think He's in. And I'll, I'll, I'll go further, He's also not only in the aviation, He's in the aerospace. He is also the one behind space exploration, GPS, SAT technology, all of this, all of this all of this, praise the Lord. Now, He's not in the bad science. There is bad science. There is cloning technology. There is the gathering of body parts and things taking place in genetic, genetic laboratories that are really nothing short of diabolical and demonic. That's evil science. But there is pure science. There is high science, and it's coming from the mind of God. And certain men who are open to it, certain women who are open to it, they are receiving those ideas. Just as you can be influenced by a demon, just as an evil spirit can help you to think a bad thought, if you yield to it, you can also yield to an angel and receive a divine thought. You can also yield to an angel and receive a thought that comes straight from heaven, carried by an angel of God Himself. Hallelujah. And Jesus walks in these realms. And for many of you, you're supposed to be walking in them too. 
the higher realms of glory, the most advanced levels of technology and medical and aviation and aerospace or whatever it is, you're supposed to be at the forefront. Glory to God. The church is supposed to be at the forefront, and that's where we're going. You're a king. You're a priest in Christ Jesus. Let that anointing be on you. Hallelujah. Let that genius anointing touch your mind. Glory to God. How about that? How about all of that good stuff and miracles, signs and wonders and healing, and the gift of the Spirit? Hallelujah. Father, your church is rising. Your church is rising. Isaiah 60, your glory being seen upon us. We receive and we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the blood of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. The church is coming into the finest hour. Jesus has saved the best wine for last. We are privileged to see the greatest move of God that has ever hit the earth, and it's beginning. It's beginning to come out. It's beginning to move out. Let's welcome the glory. Let's have a mind, a mentality to expect to see God do things He's never done before in the history of the world, because we are the last great part of this Feast of Tabernacles celebration that God is doing. My friends, thank you for watching today. I look forward to seeing you back next time. God bless you. Bye-bye.